Welcome to Conspiracy What? This is a podcast about the weird shit in the world. And we're doing another type of weird conspiracy. Like well, last time we did the Solder Children disappearance, which was different for us. And Sky Pirates. Sky Pirates. Sky Ritz. Trademark. Don't make up more words. Um, hi, I'm Allie. That's Cameron making up words. Always. And uh, we have our recurring co-host on What's Your Name this time. It's just Robert. Uh, however, I uh, prefer returning champion. Champion. Because I won last time. I, I won the episode I was on. What were you on last? Was it the moon? It was the moon. I think it was the moon, yeah. It was the moon. You almost lost on the moon. Because there was that one moment where Ali mentioned how they <laughs> right. recorded it. And you... <laughs> where we broke and we're like, oh my God, maybe it was fake. <laughs> yeah, you about drifted to the moon, so... Yeah, and, and if you listen to our other podcast, Attack of the 50-Foot Podcast, Robert's on there all the time. Mm-hmm. All because that's all of ours. Yeah, <laughs> he is consistently featured on there, and they let me on that one, too. Anyway, back to conspiracies. <laughs> this is the Conspiracy Podcast. This week, we're talking about D.B. Cooper. Yes. yes, one of my favorites. I'm sure I'm sure a lot of you have heard this story. It's been going on since the 70s. So he is considered to be a national hero by some people legitimately, like actually <laughs> considered to be a national hero. They they hold an annual D.B. Cooper Festival and they have since the 70s. Oh, and does everybody jump out of a plane? That would be amazing. But no, they play pool <laughs> in a bar. So that's it's not as fun. It would at least be cool if they like dove off the roof, like auto trampoline or something. But this is the only unsolved hijacking in American history. Yes. Plane yep. hijacking. I don't know. Skyjacking. Skyjacking. The word is there skyjacking. Yeah. Um, I didn't I, make that one up. That word makes me uncomfortable, but. I didn't make it up this time. Go this on. time it's not me. All right, so what about the facts? When did this happen? So this happened in November, uh, four days after my birthday on November 24th in 1971. That was not the year I was born. And this flight was going from Portland, Oregon to Seattle, Washington. And after the skyjacking, it like left Seattle to Reno. So it was kind of like a little, like a little V. Um, and my, one of my favorite facts about this is that apparently hijackings were really common at the time. And it was the only way people could get to Cuba <laughs> is you hijack a plane. Everyone gets off in Cuba, buys some alcohol, some cigars, and then comes back. I... You know what? They say there were no you know, like perfect times, but man, that's got to be fun at least. <laughs> like, is that even considered hijacking if everybody gets things? Right. It's like, there? yeah, free Cuba trip. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like a planned like the, hijacking. Yeah, it's not a hijacking if the pilots are also like, well, yeah, no, I do got to get my dad something for his birthday and Cuban cigars <laughs> would be good. Yeah. Um, so this is in the era of hijackings. And but this one was different because they didn't go to Cuba. Uh, he stole $200 in cash, um, specifically in $20 bills. Um, his name was actually Dan Cooper, but the news heard it as DB and mis- mislabeled him. Yeah. They, yeah, they said his name wrong and then he became DB Cooper. Yeah. And obviously we don't like th- this is unsolved because we don't know who Dan Cooper actually was. He right. that's just the name on the ticket that he bought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Did Back you guys, when you can do anything you wanted in an airport. <laughs> did you guys hear about why they had the miscommunication of DB Cooper? I heard it was just because the reporter heard the name wrong. So the reporter asked their source on the phone, but apparently it was very staticky and they couldn't hear very well. And they said, is that a D or a B? And the person said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yes. So DB Cooper was born. Cool. So that's, that's his name. Now that's the alias. I mean, the theory is that it's not really his real name either way. And that's why we don't know who he is. Or that's what he wants you to think. And in, by giving you his real name, he gives you a name that you think is not his. You go look for people that are not him, but in reality, it's him. No, but like the, the first thing they looked for is a bunch of people named Dan Cooper. Yeah. It would have been so stupid to have this meticulously planned hijacking foiled by giving your real name. <laughs> you know, though, I once read about a dude who went in and filled out a job application at a gas station and filled out his address on it. And then he robbed the gas station. So <laughs> I'm just saying people do things like that. Um, and just... it was a simpler time. All right. So um, as Ali said, this took place on a flight from Portland to Seattle. It was flight 305 from Northwest Orient Airlines, uh, an airline that I've never heard of. It's probably now defunct or absorbed. Yeah, um, I think all of those like Northwest and all of those other ones are now just Southwest. Oh, Southwest bought all of them. There's only one direction to go now. Yeah, exactly. They were really (laughs) clever with these airline names. It's just a direction. They were actually absorbed into Delta Air. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought it was Southwest. And in the infamous and loving words of John Mulaney, we're Delta Airlines and life is a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Uh, But anyways, before life was a fucking nightmare, Dan Cooper gets on a plane. And by the way, he pays uh, uh, just shy of $20 for a flight from Oregon to to Washington. It's not very far, but still $20 for a ticket. Yeah. Just want to let that set for a second. Um, And partway through the flight... Uh, after ordering a bourbon soda and smoking a bunch of cigarettes because it's the 70s, uh, Dan Cooper gives a flight attendant a note. And apparently at first she thinks that it's just like a lonely businessman giving her his number. So she ignores it. And then he's like, miss, you should read that note because I've got a bomb. Apparently just as smooth as that. He was like calm the whole time uh, Mm -hmm. and like has her come over and sit next to him shows her what she looks to her as a bomb. It's just like eight cylinders with red wires wrapped around them. Um, I have a theory about that, which we'll get to later. Yeah. Uh, Cam came up with one too that I really like. Okay. So Dan Cooper demands four parachutes and $200,000 from the airline. And he specifies that they're $20 bills, non-sequential. This is like, I think the thing that popularized the whole non-sequential bills, even though that's kind of bullshit. It doesn't matter if they're sequential, they can still trace them. (laughs) Um, Just a little tip for you hijackers out there. It doesn't matter what you do. (laughs) Sequentially marked. So they land in Seattle as normal. They um, get the rest of the passengers off the plane uh the flight crew and the stewardesses stay behind and uh he is given his 
parachutes and money. He at first rejects the military grade parachutes, possibly because he thinks that they're sabotaged. So he gets civilian parachutes from a nearby skydiving school, which are, wait for it, sabotaged. Apparently not purposefully, but like three of them have their emergency chutes sewn shut for training purposes, which I don't understand what that's training you for. Uh, If it doesn't, if it doesn't pull correctly, you learn what happens. Yeah, but like uh, you don't get your money back. (laughs) No, I don't think you would. Maybe it'd go to your next again. Here's your twenty dollars back. But yeah, it's important to note though that the uh, it was the secondary chute that was sewn shut, and it was sewn shut in three of the four. So one of them was fully operational, and all three had their main parachute available. So. I don't I'm given to understand that uh the that like the shoots shoots being sewn shut was an accident because they were well aware like all right he's asking for four parachutes like if if he's taking people from the plane with him and their shoot is sabotaged then we just murdered an innocent bystander yeah no they weren't trying to give him a sewn shut parachute they didn't think about it until afterwards and that's when that information came out And it it should also be noted that this was an extremely, like we've already kind of mentioned it, but this was an extremely smooth heist, extremely smooth from start to finish because the passengers on the plane, they didn't even know they were being (laughs) taken hostage until they were off the plane. And then they found out that there was a guy with a bomb on the plane. Yeah, because they saw them, they saw the airline people bringing the money on the plane and they were like, oh, fuck. Were we just hijacked? Yeah. <laughs> so they didn't know. They didn't get that opportunity. So they just were taken off of a flight. And they didn't know why. And they were like a mile out from the airport when they were dropped off. Yeah. So um, he, he it, going to the fact that this is so smooth, um, Cooper and the flight crew, like the pilots, agree on like a destination. Apparently it's all very cordial. And he's just sort of like, oh, I don't want to hurt anybody. This is what we want to do. And he has some very specific demands of heading like uh, on- like only going 115 miles an hour, which is pretty slow for a plane and uh, flying a maximum of 10,000 feet, which is uh, relatively low. Um mm-hmm. And like he had all of these special uh, instructions for how the flaps should be lowered. And he clearly had thought this out a lot beforehand. Like he seemed yeah. like he knew what he was doing. It seems like he knew how these airplanes worked pretty well, in yes. my opinion, at least. Yeah, there's, you're going to see this throughout this case. And we'll, we're going to talk about it quite a bit uh, throughout multiple sections in this, but one of the things here that's often argued is whether or not he was experienced in a lot of what's going on, whether or not he had the plane experience, whether or not he had skydiving experience. And the FBI originally thought, no, that's kind of evolved since then, but it is an important point to be aware of because a lot of his demands kind of bounce back and forth. So. Yeah, that's fair. Cause another point to that is like, Oh, is he, or isn't he experienced at skydiving? Because wouldn't he have noticed the, the shoots weren't, properly working like you know wouldn't he check that if he were a paratrooper as some people speculated he was yeah yeah um (laughs) which to be fair on that note he might have checked that i know that there's speculation that he wouldn't that he didn't notice but nobody knows if he noticed the stewardess would have been the only person that would have known if he had 
realize that the shoots were closed. And as we find out, he did never intend on using the shoots for the other three people on the plane. Yeah. He ordered four. He didn't use all four. I think it was a scare tactic. Yeah. I think it was like, I'm going to take you with me. No, I'm not. This is, like I said, this is extremely smooth and well thought out. He knows what he's doing. A con is a perfect way to to phrase it because he has this whole thing where he's like, all right, we're going to go to, we're like going to head Southwest. And they're like, Oh, we're going to have to refuel in Reno. He's like, okay, that's fine. We'll do that. But he jumps out well before we Reno. They're oh, still yeah. in Washington when he bails. Mm-hmm. He bails pretty quick after yeah. it takes off. Honestly, it's not very long. And again, the entire time he's not, He's never angry. He's never, they don't talk about him being mad. She says that there was like a point where she like hurried him up or like he uh, hurried up the flight stewardess, but not in like a rude or condescending way. She said he was very polite and I just different. He's just different than you expect from this type of heist. He's not anxious. He's not in a rush. It's very weird. Which is, I think, why I kind of love this story, because I, I love the gentleman thief archetype where it's like, oh, I'm not here to like wreck anybody's day. I'm just here to steal money from these people who are stealing money from somebody else or whatever. It's very white collar, like extremely <laughs> the show the white collar. It's very much that. Yeah. Um, so did we mention that? I think you did. You did just mention that. Um, that the, the path that he requested was to go to Mexico. Yes. Over Reno. Yeah, so he they actually landed in Reno. Later. Well, so they land in Reno after he jumps. Yeah. But let's before he, before that, uh, the important thing is when he actually jumps. There's there's a few notes in there that kind of matter. Uh, the stewardess, she says that he, again, he wasn't really like forceful, anything like that. He wasn't like violent. He wasn't aggravated really. But he has her originally open up the door for him but she didn't quite get it open. So then before she actually manages to get it open, there's a back door for those who don't know, this is a little bit different than your typical planes now. Uh, the back, the very, very back of the plane opens up to a stairwell. So it's kind of like a cargo plane, but a cargo plane with stairs, it's fun. Uh, but he, she, right before she can get that open, which is where he's gonna jump, he then stops her and then makes her go to the front cabin. and. Then she closes the door, the door opens, the back door opens, they feel it in the aircraft. They say their ears pop because of how much pressure gets into the craft. And then they essentially at some point shortly after feel a bump, which is when they think he might've jumped, but they're not sure. And so this is really important because no one sees him jump, no one, not the airplanes following, not the stewardess, not the pilots. So nobody knows the exact point Cooper leaves the plane. Yeah. So the mark that they make on their radar is just when they feel the bump. So you don't know if he like was just getting on the stairs or if he moved something or like what. Yes. But he was gone. Right. And <laughs> and it was he they did have to uh i know the pilots also had to adjust their speed to get the stairs to even open because of how much pressure there was so it's it was a crazy thing for him to do in the middle of the night in the middle of the rain yeah that's the thing this was like at around eight o'clock in november um in the northwest in the rain and he jumped into 
it, probably a forest. There's a lot of speculation as to where he could have landed because nobody knows when it was. Right. But it was almost certainly in the wilderness. Yeah. But where he lands ends up being very important because they're going to start searching for him. And there's still questions about whether or not they searched the right areas and whether or not their radar was slightly off, which is now one of the prevailing thoughts. So there's a lot that goes into that. But uh, as you said, Allie, they land in uh, Reno, right? And they do like a little press conference basically because he's gone and they refuel and fuck off right back to Seattle. I mean, they're not there for very long. Nope. They're just kind of like, yeah, we were hijacked. We did what he wanted. That was it. Yeah. Like they, I, there's a thing where like they, like a whole bunch of people swarm the plane, obviously, because they think it's still an active hostage situation, only to have him just not be on the plane. Yeah. I, I would love a, a little conspiracy theory, just making this one up on the spot where he like sewed himself into the, one of the seats of the, of the airplane or something. And they're like, oh, well, I guess he's gone. Let's, let's let this plane go. They just fly them back home with all the money. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm just seeing those like videos that people do where they take out their driver's side chair in their car and they make themselves a chair suit mm-hmm. and then they just sit as the chair. Yeah. He just did that all the way back. Yep. He, he cool. threw the chair out the back of the plane. <laughs> that was the boss. <laughs> and then just stayed there as a chair. Oh my God. We figured it out. Yeah. Right. End of podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs> So, um, are we going to talk about all these places he could have jumped? Sure. I guess this should have been a couple sentences ago, but it, it, it's really hard to tell, honestly, even where the bump is, because people thought it was somewhere near Mount St. Helens in Oregon. And then I heard a thing where it was around Ariel, Washington, and somewhere drainage basin of Washougal, Washougal River? Washougal? Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, so somewhere along the Washington-Oregon border. The other place that they think that he landed right now was by the Tenna Bar, uh, which is a little sandbar kind of off to the side of where the flight path was, a good distance from the side. But again, there's thought that there was some radar issues and that they didn't actually know exactly the flight path that the plane was on and that it was actually slightly off from where they thought they were. So this... This then goes to another theory later on, but that's just one of the areas. So somewhere in the wilderness. Yes. He's there, dead or alive, who knows? Um, Okay. I was just going to finish it off. Do you have more? Oh, I was going to say, when we say wilderness, I want to make this very clear because a lot of people hear wilderness and they immediately think, well, he probably died and didn't know what he was doing. First of all, he jumped into the wilderness, which with this kind of pre-planning, He's not just going to jump out of a plane and be like, all right, now I haven't done my outline here, so we'll just go for it. He knew where he was jumping. He had a specific plan. Again, we mentioned how like he's fine with refueling in Reno because he's not going to be on the plane that long anyway. I didn't care. And he doesn't care about having three other shoots. It's all a con. So when we say wilderness, there's a difference between jumping into the middle of a mountain range you've never been in and jumping into a section of forest you know. And there's a big difference between the two. And again, that'll come up later with whether or not he's experienced and things like that. But that's all I want to say. Yeah. So there's a lot of speculation that he's dead because this is extremely dangerous. Typically, you jump out of a plane at like, what, 2,000 feet? 
2000 is the minimum safe safe distance like upwards isn't so much unsafe as it is you need to know what you're doing otherwise it becomes unsafe but i also found a uh somebody pointed out that like the, the the civilian parachutes that he had couldn't really be steered that accurately and combined with the fact that he was in a storm and jumping from a moving plane the difference in speed was like 200 miles an hour so mm-hmm. he would be almost entirely out of control yeah so i mean some of his equipment points to he there's like no way he would have survived so then you either get he was an amateur that did something he couldn't handle, or he was extremely experienced and has done this before, maybe military or something like that. Yeah. Um, so then that's the story, the base story of D.B. Cooper. It led to this, like the largest hijacking investigation uh, by the FBI. The code name is Norjack, Northwest Hijack. Oh, it's- now I get it. <laughs> you didn't uh, see that. <laughs> no, no, I'm being <laughs> I thought it stood for Norse jacket. Ah, uh, yeah. That's what he was wearing to survive the weather. That would make sense. Yep. It was um, a jacket from Norway. You know what? Speaking of Norse jackets, the upcoming Disney series Loki has Loki being DB Cooper. Oh god. Oh. <laughs> okay, you know what? <laughs> I was gonna <laughs> I was gonna yell at you for diverting, but that's actually a very good point. Damn. Okay. Yeah. That was so, accidental, but yes. So the the FBI actually started with 800, 800 suspects and narrowed it down somehow by some miracle to twelve. But yes. that's about as far as they've gotten. That's it. Never solved. Yep. Never solved. Well, I mean, this is you know this is an easy case to get you know minimal suspects for because it's a white guy in sunglasses and a suit smoking cigarettes in the seventies. In the seventies on a plane with dark hair. That could only be like. That's only everybody's dad. That could be like eighty percent of the population. Also, don't um, you guys think that the wanted poster looks exactly like that um, Agent Colson from the Marvel shows? Yeah, it does. He looks yeah, like everybody. Look like that. It's like exactly like there. There are any number of people that it could look like. It's the most, yeah. and like everyone on the flight crew all saw him and talked to him for a while and mm-hmm. all agree on what he looks like. That's the one thing we're pretty sure about. Right. But he's like, they say in a lot of things, he's nondescript. Yeah. He's just a dude. I mean, it, it just reminds me a lot of the, um, the Ted Bundy case where everybody was like, yeah, I know that guy, but it's just because he's just a white dude with dark hair. And white? in his case, relatively yeah. attractive, but like, that was all you could go on. Everybody looks like that. White guy, hair, average height, average build, wears clothes everyone else does. His tie was literally from JCPenney. So, <laughs> yeah. But uh, speaking of his tie, though, let's go into the physical evidence. That may, or may, may not be around anymore. <laughs> there is so much physical evidence that doesn't help anything. Yeah, if this crime had happened, like in the last decade, you haven't caught like immediately. Yeah. Uh, one of the most important pieces of evidence here and one of the most infuriating things are his cigarettes. So this guy smoked eight cigarettes in the time he was on this plane, which is a lot. Uh, and it seems a little weird just because it is a lot of cigarettes to smoke in the small amount of time this whole thing happened. This wasn't a really long heist either. I mean, not 
considering the fact he robbed a plane. I don't know if it's really that weird. I saw a thing that just said he's a chain smoker, which is really just what chain smokers do. Or was he? See, plus it's the seventies. It was, but see, that's the thing here is we already talked about how this is kind of a con. So let's look at the actual cigarettes themselves. The cigarettes themselves are actually more uh, descriptive than the man. He smoked Raleigh filter tip cigarette butts. They, I can't remember what length they were, but they were even a specific length. The brand specifically was a like poor man's brand. It was like the worst type of cigarette you can buy. And usually you turned in coupons to get them. And the company actually kept a log of those coupons. Uh, I also wanted to notice, or just wanted to mention a fun thing. At this point, we had white male, which had a lot of the population, but now we know he smokes. And in 1970, approximately 42% of the population smoked. So you've cut down your margins. So there you go. You only got 42% of the population left. From what Mad Men has told me, that seems low. It does seem low. Actually, when I looked up that fact, that comes from the CDC site. Uh, but when I looked up that fact, I was very surprised to find that. Really? So, Less than half. Approximately now, I think it's like people in like their 20s to like 30s. Now only about 70% of people, or 17% of people smoke. <laughs> oh, only <laughs> 70. Not 70. 17% of that age group smokes, which is pretty low. So it's a lot lower than I thought it was. Uh, Good job, guys. But anyway, the plane lands, and that is the one thing, that's one of the few things that they have left over from him, is they have eight cigarettes left in an ashtray, and specifically, they were left near his seat, which I find interesting for two reasons. One, they weren't actually by his seat directly. Two, they were in the ashtray still and hadn't blown out of the ashtray, which... oh. Makes me question if Wait, he moved what? them away from the door. I didn't even door. think about that. Yeah. It, it makes me question whether or not he moved them away from the door. And this is a very, very important fact in this case, because if he did that intentionally to keep those there, he wanted them to find cigarettes, oh, shit. which could be a misdirect. And I'm seeing a lot of those when I'm looking in this case. There's a lot of things that don't make sense that he did. But yeah, the cigarettes stayed. Which, with that kind of air pressure... I mean, if the pilots could feel the pressure change in their ears... Yeah. I mean... Just open up your car door while going 60 miles per hour on the highway. That <laughs> whole door. No, that's, don't. Yeah, don't, don't. Don't actually listener. do it. Don't actually do that. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, that's not... That's not good. That's weird. It's very strange. Anyway, uh, so that was a very strange thing that I found. My mind is already blown. <laughs> now, let's talk about the problem with the cigarettes. So... They didn't have DNA testing then. DNA testing started in, I think, 1986 for criminal investigations. Yes. So, yeah. So uh, they didn't have the ability to DNA test them. However, they were still looking for various things. So eventually the cigarettes get sent off to Las Vegas for further testing. Uh, they get sent from the Seattle offices into the Las Vegas field office. And from there, for their safekeeping and testing, uh, we've never seen them again. So... They've been gone ever since. And just so everyone understands where they went, uh, Seattle claims that it's in Las Vegas. Las Vegas claims they send it back to Seattle. And people that don't investigate from either facility say they just send it to Quantico. So it's either in Seattle, Las Vegas, or Quantico. Cool. Nothing like missing evidence in a conspiracy theory. Yeah. And those are all government agents that say these things. So it's, it's not like <laughs> random people, like government agents are just blaming each other, which is always fun. I want to make a library joke real quick. It's just missing in transit. You'll never get it back. <laughs> uh, 
But what they did manage to get out of the cigarettes is they did trace them back to the factory that they come from, which is a factory in Louisville, Kentucky. And this is a factory that keeps logs of people who use coupons to get these cigarettes, which is a very particular thing with these cigarettes that you wouldn't have found with very many brands. But you did find it particularly with this low-end brand because, again, people who were buying them didn't have a lot of money to spend on them, which them being left behind in the plane plus that fact makes me think he wanted people to find them. And what this ends up leading them to is a factory that has logs that has 6 million people a day that buy these things. And in that 6 million people a day with paper logs in, the ni- in 1971, they managed <laughs> to find two Dan Coopers, which is hilarious. That's insane. And amazing on the detectives parts. Now, they didn't really say anything else about these two Dan Coopers. They found one in Florida. I don't remember where the other one was. Neither of them were anything to lead off of. They're both complete dead ends. But the fact that they even found a Dan Cooper off of that specific cigarette brand is really random and weird or seemingly random. But yeah, so th- those are the cigarettes, though. Random. I feel like it's more lucky. The unfortunate <laughs> thing, though, is we don't have the cigarettes to do a DNA test, which, again... I feel like he left them behind intentionally, which is why they weren't blown away by the plane. And I think he wanted them to find the Louisville, Kentucky factory to throw them off. I think that's why he did it. And to go like, I did see things like, why would he leave behind DNA? But they didn't know about DNA testing at the time. So he would have never thought about that. So if we had the cigarettes, we would have something to match it to, which is nice. But that's not the only thing that's left. So... What else is left? So he left behind his uh, tie and tie clip. Uh, the tie, I guess, yeah, was pretty cheap from JCPenney's. The tie clip was Mother of Pearl, which isn't nothing, but it's also not uh, like a uh, something very... I, I almost wonder, like the planting of the cigarettes, if we're accepting that that's a plant, that he's just sort of like, I want to make them seem... Want to make them think that I'm like kind of poor and un, uh, like I don't have a, I'm not a man of means. Yeah, somebody who needs to steal the money. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they. Uh. I guess they did. I. I remember reading something. My memory's a little fuzzy on this part where they were trying to like get DNA off the tie and might have been successful, but also it might not have been his DNA because again, red herrings. Yeah, so they found saliva on the tie, specifically saliva on the tie. Uh, They don't know if it was his or not. They assume it was because he was the one wearing the tie. Now, it, it had DNA on it, not enough to give them a genetic code, so they can't perfectly match it to anybody, and they can't run it through a database. But they can test it against specific people, is what the FBI says, and they can find out if it's even close, like if someone's even close enough to that genetic like material that they found, but they basically didn't find anything with the DNA because there's not enough of it to do anything real. So again, we kind of need those cigarettes, but yeah, I mean, to your point, I feel like it's weird that he left the tie behind too. That feels intentional. Well, I, I read that he took it off to jump, so it wouldn't flap in your face, but it looks cooler (laughs) if you jump with the tie on. I mean, also it was clipped to his shirt, so it wouldn't have flapped in his face. Yeah, I guess that's true. There's a reason why that clip's there. And that's, I mean, that's what it's for. He would know that if he's wearing a suit. So I feel like he took it off intentionally. And again, it's like, if you take it off, why are you taking it off? Is it just another misdirect? And it, it is, this is where my brain this whole time has been like, 
there's more to it than the surface <laughs> evidence. And there's quite yeah. a bit more, it looks like. So they yeah. also, he also left fingerprints, um, of yes. course, because who cares at the time? You can lift fingerprints, but it's going to take a lot longer to actually match them. So well, there's a problem with that, as there is with every piece of evidence in this case, apparently. Um, so an in-flight magazine had partial fingerprints, and that was pretty much the most of what they could find. Um, and then the FBI actually botched all of the other fingerprints, like on the, on the seat and on the armrests and stuff. And that just made them either partial and pretty much unusable or totally unusable. So there were some fingerprints, but you can't really do a lot with a partial fingerprint. You can be like, yeah, half of your fingerprint matches that, but can't really tell if it's all you. Yeah. Also, uh, just a, a mini little tangent, probably we'll get right back to it. But recently it just happened where two completely unrelated people uh, had the same fingerprints. We've now gotten to a point where there are enough people and not enough variations of fingerprints where they're starting to be repeated, like not even in the same ge genetic line. So <laughs> that's a scary thought, everybody. Yeah. Nature's done with our shit. Wear so gloves. That's cool. For multiple reasons. Yeah. Okay. Are we just going <laughs> to keep giving criminals hints, both of you? Is that, <laughs> is that what we're here for? No. Oh, I'm writing these down for myself for later, for an ah, unrelated matter. Another good thing to have on the internet, Robert. Another <laughs> great thing. So <laughs> I wanted to bring up one thing real quick. Uh, we were talking about the fingerprints, but I wanted to say I just considered something as well. Like we said, maybe he took off the tie to jump, even though it has a clip on it, right? He didn't take off the sunglasses. <laughs> oh, he didn't You're leave the sunglasses. Cool. Dude oh, jumped yeah. with sunglasses on <laughs> at night. <laughs> style <laughs> all right if that's not the coolest thing hero listen so he i think he left the tie on purpose that's what i was gonna say because he would have left the sunglasses <laughs> and again remember the tie didn't blow around the plane he oh he's, oh he's, I, i'm sorry yeah he seems to have left things intentionally what were you gonna say well no i uh speaking of leaving things intentionally um so like, yeah, he's, he left the, the tie and the cigarette butts didn't fly out. Uh, both of these things are very light. I didn't hear anything about whether or not he had any luggage with him. Cause that could be a, a pretty big indicator of like, if he had wilderness survival gear in there or something. Did either of you read anything about luggage? He had a briefcase and that's what the bomb was in. Okay. And I mean, it's possible. See, that's part of my theory later on. We'll talk about it in, there's, there's again, like she's, the stewardess saw a piece of the briefcase. Briefcases also had multiple little compartments in them too, not just like one, so. Yeah, and I highly doubt this 20 year old stewardess knew what a bomb looked like. Yeah, what he brought on the plane was a briefcase with a maybe bomb, a battery with a button attached to it. And uh, he brought on his sunglasses and cigarettes. That's everything he brought with him. And he so, left most of them behind. For exactly. No Weirdly left most of them. Like the clip on tie is clipped onto you. I, I also love the like detail that it was a clip on tie. That just <laughs> seems so extra. Like this man is so careful and meticulous and like, oh, but like he also makes all these errors and there's all of this stuff pointing to the fact that he's poor. Cause I think that like clip on tie is one of those old fashioned, like, oh, you can't even afford a real tie there. Yeah. Well, and it was like a JC Penny tie, which was considered very easy to get at the time. So, and some people even question whether or not he bought it secondhand. So 
Yeah. So lots of let's talk about what hunters find in the woods. Uh, yeah. So anyway, real quick, just to re-up too. So the fingerprints, they found them only on an in-flight magazine. The in-flight magazine might not have even been touched by him. That's also something to consider. He was holding a bomb button in one hand and a drink <laughs> or a cigarette in the other. I don't know when he had time cool as hell. to look through an in-flight magazine. So maybe their prints are his, but the fact that that's where they got their prints worries me. That concerns me. Uh, yeah. Anyway, 1975. Uh, so the FBI, the plane lands, I guess we should say, we don't have it in our notes. Uh, the FBI, once this plane lands, they, uh, in the next 40 hours, it takes 40 hours, they finally get a search party together and they go search the wilderness where they think he landed. Uh, they search that forever. They search a 30 mile radius, I think they said in total. So 30 miles of wilderness, they just roamed through. But they forever. gave him a 40 hour head start. So yeah. like, and he's not in the wilderness for, if he made it out, he's not in the wilderness for 40 hours anymore. Like he's not, that's not, he's not there. Uh, but anyway, they searched the area. They searched for a shoot. They searched for his, his briefcase. They searched for anything, literally anything that he could body. have had. A body, something. They found no evidence of anything at all, which going back to the radar thing, it's, there's a huge possibility that they actually searched the wrong area now. Yeah, I'm on board with that interpretation of events. Yeah, no, I think they definitely searched the wrong area. I also think... I don't think they ever would have been able to search the correct area anyway, because he obviously has the stewardess go in the back or in the front of the plane so that nobody knows when he jumps mm -hmm. because, and, and, and like, if you're in a plane, like the difference between three minutes and like five minutes of waiting to jump is huge. That's a yep. completely different area you're going to land in. So who knows where he landed, even if they knew exactly and the radar was correct, I still think they would have searched the wrong area. You'd have to know like when he jumped, how fast they were going, how high they were, what direction he was facing when he pulled the chute, mm -hmm. all of this happening at night in the rain with uh, really strong winds. And I think nobody could figure out where he went. And when he pulled the chute, because if what a lot of people think is true and he was an experienced military diver, that meant that he would have been able to pull a chute later, which is something I saw people bring up as well, is he could he have pulled waited it. waited until like a thousand feet He could have waited it, until yeah. it was way too low for most people and then pulled his chute in order to have control of the parachute because he would have been lower and not as much having to deal with the wind, which is something that I saw brought up multiple times. Some people think he might've pulled it as like a kind of like a military drill type of thing where he pulls it like underneath 2000 feet. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's also another interesting little thing. But anyway, so that happens and then they search for him. I mean, again, this search continues until like 2016. They find nothing. They find nothing. Ever. But in 1975, someone else finds something in the middle of this invest ongoing investigation. And he finds it in uh, the woods of Washington in a completely separate area, but not off of the flight path necessarily than where the FBI had searched. And what he finds is a, basically like a plate. It's like a, it's like a piece of like a glass plate or something like that, that he finds, when I say plate, I don't mean like you eat off of, I mean like you cover like a railway in or something piece like of that. Plate. But essentially he finds this and this guy, he works at Boeing. So he takes the part number, which is on the piece, 
He takes that back to Boeing, where he then looks in their registry for their 727 and finds out that this part number came off of a 727, which is the type of plane that Cooper jumped off of right around that same type of area. So this guy confirms that it's a part from a 727. He then immediately contacts the FBI because he knows about the D.B. Cooper story. And we have the memorandum actually from that. This has been released because of the Freedom of Information Act. It was released later. Go Freedom of Information Act, where they release everything to you so that you know what's going on as much as they want you to, because they still don't have to release everything. You'd never know. So this is very long, very, it's not very long, I guess. It's very FBI-y. But basically, it just recites the story that I just recited to you. This guy finds it. He finds out that it's part of a 727. However, the FBI investigator at the time, who was one of many, but the one who got the call, he dismissed it immediately, which is a mistake. But he dismissed it because they believed at the time that there was no damage to the 727 because the FBI, not because they had looked into it, but because they didn't believe there was damage. Now, that's very important. If you guys scroll down, we'll put this on our Facebook page, but just so you two have it, uh, there is an image that comes from the security cameras at the Reno airport of the plane that he jumped out of. What we're looking at here is there is a stairwell coming out of the back of the plane, and there's a panel. That's the word I was looking for earlier. Panel on the side of the stairwell. If you look at the railings, you'll see two white sections, and that on the bottom image is zoomed in. And if you see, it's torn slash broken, right? You see these white panels. Are you talking about the right side of the picture? Yes, that is a panel. Oh. So if oh, you look I at the see. top, you see the railing. You see the full railing. If you look down at the bottom, you see a closer up image of it. That is a broken panel on the plane. So what we now know is that the plane did actually sustain damage I in just what happened as you were describing this i'm imagining like on those conspiracy shows and they zoom in and it goes like negative and back to regular color oh god and then they circle it in yeah. red and it's like it was broken <laughs> <laughs> or they do like the newer thing where it's like like the radar like catching onto things and it's like and then like zooms in uh but anyway so this is a <laughs> this is a confirmed broken panel off of that plane and now we know that there was in fact damage to that 727 and most likely what this guy found was part of the panel that was damaged in the woods, which is an amazing find, not only because it's an amazing find, but because he was able to get a serial number off of it. So, but I mean, if you look, it's, it's pretty heavily damaged. Like there's yeah, a lot of it missing. That's, quite a, that's a chunk. It's missing on both sides too. So. Well, I mean, he threw down some stairs in a 1970s airplane mid-flight. Exactly. Going <laughs> a little too fast, but only as slow as the pilots could manage to go. Um, so what we do know is that at least the panel landed outside of the FBI search range, which is very important because that means that they didn't find the evidence because they weren't looking in the right place. And now you have to question where should they have looked but they also never searched the area where the panel was found because they dismissed it immediately. And it wasn't until years later that they finally went back to that and were like, oh my God, someone had been looking through the files and they found that report. And they were like, why didn't we look at this? But it was too late. I mean, so now it's just empty evidence. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Uh, but yeah, so that, that panel became something very important. This hunter found a very important piece of this case. He may, I mean, it maybe not, it, it might not have solved it, even if they had gone to it in the first place, but they might've found more evidence wherever this panel was. Yeah. But then on to 1978. So in 1978, 
uh, a hunter finds the instructions that Cooper originally wrote for the flight crew, uh, which were described as being like written carefully in felt tip pen in capital letters, like not handwriting. He's clearly drawing each one carefully because um, this is still in a time where handwriting analysis was a real science. Yeah. And um uh, and because he it wasn't found on the plane after he departed, they theorized that he took it with him. Um, and I don't recall where this guy found it, but it was it was obviously in this same contested area. Um, so theoretically, he either like it either blew out with him in a way that the uh, cigarette butts and tie didn't for whatever reason, or he just ditched it at some point because it was too heavy. Yeah. Of all things. I mean, it's hard to say, too, whether or not that was a real note. That's another thing that I question. Uh, but to your point, too, I mean, it's a very good point that he obviously brought the ransom note with him. And again, like he wouldn't have known about DNA. So he would have left if he's if he's trying to con this and he's trying to leave other clues. Uh, he wouldn't have cared about leaving DNA. But what he probably would have cared about is leaving uh, his handwritten note because handwriting analysis was huge, especially then. That's yeah. Yeah. That's what I just but said. I'm just saying that <laughs> that I'm just saying I agree. I'm just saying I agree with that. Because that I well, I'm saying that too because I don't think people realize like fingerprinting's been around since like 1895, something like that. But uh handwriting analysis was like the premier way to catch criminals back then. It was a great way to figure out whether or not the wife murdered the husband or the dog did. So <laughs> based on the handwriting of the dog. Yeah. Yeah. Because you look at a dog and you're like, I don't think he can write. Solved. <laughs> okay. Um, but I'm just saying. I uh, so what happened, Allie, in 1980? Well, a child really added to the case. <laughs> so a kid is digging on the banks of the Columbia River and he finds 5,800 fucking dollars in the sand. Now, this is not spendable money because it's been totally fucked by algae. And it's all wrapped up nicely in rubber bands. And they trace the serial numbers back and it's Davy Cooper money. Yes. And, and this was on the Tenna bar that we mentioned earlier. Yeah. And so this is not anywhere near the flight path even. And so people are like, how the fuck did it get buried in the sand off of a river that was nowhere near where the plane was flying over? Because... There's no way by distance, really, that like it could even be dropped by Cooper like while he was jumping. Um, now, a really cool thing that actually just came out this year in August is a peer-reviewed paper done by this guy who actually tested the algae on the bills yeah. and found that the diatoms that bloomed on it were from the spring, which meant that that was at least like four to five months after Cooper jumped that it would have landed in the river. Right. Which means somebody had to have put it there. Yeah. So what he found, this is, this guy actually, he's very important in the DB case in general because 12 years earlier, he had been asked by the FBI to test the money and he was testing it for the algae, but he didn't have the correct technology that we now have literally this year. So he then on his own accord went back to retest it because the FBI has closed the file now. Uh, but he went back to test it and that's where he figured this out. And essentially what he's found is that with the, with the spring algae being found, that means that it couldn't have been there 
until the spring because he would have found evidence of the other seasons. Yeah. Well, it's the, I think the idea is because this happened in 1980 and the uh, hijacking was what, 72? 71. Um, so yeah, that's nine years in between and he's only finding one season's worth of this algae on it, which means that um, earlier in that same year that the boy found it, it got into the river. And it's like, what was the money doing until then? Where was yeah. it? Who put it there? Exactly. Yeah. And as Ali said, these are, so these are like, we asked the question while I was filling out the outline, was it found in a bag? I looked up everywhere and I found only that it was wrapped in rubber bands. Literally. That's it. It wasn't in anything. It was just in rubber bands, three stacks rubber banded together, which means they're not blown away with the wind either. It's a little too heavy for the wind there. It's stacks of twenties that equal out to $5,800. And it fifty eight hundred is important because it uh, it's three stacks, two of which are intact, one of which is missing ten twenty dollar bills, but the rest of it is still together, which doesn't really make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was one of the biggest finds to come out of the DB Cooper case because after they tested all the all the junk that we just talked about, um, nothing happened, and until nineteen eighty when this fucking child found some money in the dirt. Yeah. And this is brand new evidence. And this is like my favorite thing because when we went to go research this, I didn't realize how new the evidence was. And like science is great. Literally this it's year. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Science is incredible in Which, the fact that this is changing everything now. By this year, I mean 2020 in case you're listening to this, not in 2020. Yes, that's a good <laughs> point. Uh, we are releasing this just before 2021. Uh yeah, it's just, I think it's really fun because it adds a whole new aspect to this case that nobody knew before, which is that somebody had to have had the money for at least a little while because for it to get into the water years later, randomly, seems a bit suspect. Also, the fact that it's three of them that were clustered together seems to suggest that it's not like a random event, like his body is somewhere decomposing next to a big pile of money that like just a few of them leave and then stay together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because exactly. I'm pretty sure after this, they like conducted a like they scrubbed the river on both sides trying to find more of it and couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. They dug trenches and found nothing. Yeah. And what we know now too, based on the test that was just done, uh, we were, you can be pretty sure that it wasn't buried intentionally. Basically the guy said that it popped out of the river, landed on the shore, weather kind of blew over it and it was buried in the sand loosely by the wind. So it wasn't intentionally buried there. It was also dropped somewhere upstream, which is also important because that means that it wasn't dropped right there, which is a huge difference in the case because a lot of people thought there was a possibility that maybe he fell in the river and then it got washed down at some point, or there were people that thought that he landed there and he buried some for later. So it just adds this whole problematic. Well, did we talk about aspect. the currents too? No. Okay. So the, the other weird layer with this is that it was found in a certain spot that doesn't make sense with the current of the river. Oh yeah. Because it, um, if it had fallen in the river, it should have been dropped further up the river, which is even further away from where any of this supposedly happened. Right. Which means if it, if it fell in the river, it had to go a certain direction. I don't know. It just, it doesn't work. Yeah. Cause for it to have fallen off where the plane went over, it would have had to like go upstream. So what the fuck now, 
the money's found. But then there's also stacks and stacks of letters. Ugh. I almost didn't want to include this part because I, just fair warning, I think all of these are bullshit. I think all of these, because it was like such a national like there was so much national attention on the investigation. You're obviously going to get a bunch of people who are like, oh, well, of course I'm D.B. Cooper. I was him all along. Mm-hmm. You and, just want the same. Yeah. yeah. So here are, I, I, um, I found record of like six of them. Um, and like, they're all so weirdly worded. Like this man was like uh, careful and he spoke intellectually. That was something that all of the flight crew, crew agreed on. But all of these notes sound like they were written by like children who are in prison or something. <laughs> it's one, the first one is just attention. Thanks for the hospitality was in a rut. Signed D.B. Cooper, which again, that wasn't the alias he used. That's just something that people thought he was. Oh my God, you're right. Oh, I didn't think about that. Um, The composite drawing on page three as suspected by the FBI does not represent the truth. I enjoyed the gray cup game. Am leaving Vancouver. Thanks for the hospitality. I don't know why that keeps popping up. I'm assuming it's just the same uh, imprisoned child who's writing all of these letters. Um, but like it, it like that doesn't make any sense. Like, what is a Grey Cup game? I don't know. The Grey Cup game is a sports league championship played with Canadian football. So it is. It's been played since 1909, and I guess he enjoyed watching it. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. That's what it is. Um, a third one here says, "Am alive and doing well in hometown." P.O. The system that beats the system. <laughs> Now, this one just sounds like a bot wrote it. it, it it's There's not even any logic there. Um, and then <laughs> this one is kind of my favorite. It's just plan ahead for retirement income, D.B. Cooper. <laughs> Again, hey. not his name, <laughs> but also like, uh, yeah, I, I love how that kind of dovetails with this like gentleman thief. Like, oh, the you know, like there's a lot of a lot of people are suspects because like they were fired from their airline jobs, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah. oh, he he got back at the the industry that took his livelihood from him or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. Boeing had just laid off hundreds, uh, if not thousands, of employees. So yeah, yeah. So there were a lot of people who like. Probably, if they didn't even have motive for it, they were cheering that, like, yeah, fuck those guys. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. And then uh, the five and six were just weird. Um, it Like, it was talking about how, like, oh, I hate everyone, and I've never done anything wrong, and the system hates me, and I hate everyone, but I've never done anything wrong. It's weirdly cyclical and rambling, um, also is just sort of like, well, I've only got 14 months to live anyway, so might as well do this. Um, something that again has cropped up nowhere. I, I, I hesitated to put these in. Um, it's just that they, uh, some of these letters contain a code that points towards a, like the way that armies, uh, or our army rather, labels units. Like it's like a, a code of letters and numbers and mm-hmm. people took those and were like, oh, it's this one guy who we'll get to when we talk about the suspects. Right. <laughs> yeah, I I heard that uh, basically 
the FBI just has like files and files, like the Cooper files. And a lot of it is just like these stupid letters that were sent in all with different handwriting styles. I mean, it's probably just people trying to get in on it. And it goes back to all of our points before in previous episodes, like eyewitness stories are almost always unreliable. <laughs> Except your, yeah. if your people on the plane, then they knew what was going on. Yeah, because they were professional and they all agreed on stuff. This is just, I feel like what made this job so much harder was the media buzz around it. And a bunch of people being like, oh, I could. There, there are definitely a couple of suspects that I didn't even take notes on when I was researching this because it was just some asshole going like, it was me. I was D.B. Cooper. And it's like, yeah. sir, you were born in 1974. It's not you. <laughs> it was me, actually. I was, I was D.B. Cooper. Her brother kind of looks like D.B. Cooper. No, he no doesn't. Why. He does. Everyone's brother kind of looks like D.B. Cooper. You really just got to make your face a little bit pointy and just put on some sunglasses, poke your ears out a little bit. D.B. Cooper. I don't know. We have the same nose, and I don't think this nose is thin enough. You do that. not have the same nose. <laughs> yeah, we do. No, you don't. Okay. No. You and D.B. Cooper do not have the same nose. That's what I'm saying. Not even related. <laughs> You decide, listener. Does it sound like Allie and her brother have the same nose by listening to it? <laughs> We're having fun, guys. This is fun. All right. This is fun. Uh, Robert, I think, right? Now let's kill the fun. Please tell me what this is about. <laughs> yes. So um, this is just a little thing. I couldn't really find it anywhere, but I was uh, I was using Wikipedia just as a like, oh, let me like troll through here and see if I can find other things to look up. Um, and... Uh, one of the things was about Earl Cossey, the man who owned the skydiving uh, school nearby the airport. And was this, this was the school where they got the parachutes from. And he was found in like way later in 2013 in his home, murdered by blunt force trauma. And a bunch of people immediately leapt on that being like, oh, my God, D.B. Cooper came back for revenge. <laughs> even though that doesn't make sense. And it's literally 40 years later. Yeah. And so the police were like, no, it's a burglary. He was burgled. That's it. It's a coincidence. Yeah. A man can have two things happen to him in his life. <laughs> yeah. So this happened in 2013 and he actually wasn't found until three days after he was killed. Uh, he was found by his daughter in Woodenville, Washington. And I guess, so part of the conspiracy here, adding to what you're saying a little bit, I guess, is he had actually lost credibility a few years prior to his murder. And he is the one who started the whole D.B. Cooper didn't have skydiving experience thing because that's not the parachute I would have chosen. That's what he said. Mm. So that's he's the one who started this. And he was a technical advisor to the FBI. And he's also the one who packed the shoots. Um but what's really interesting is apparently some controversy came out and it started to come into question whether or not he actually owned the parachutes. And what people have found out is he might not have actually had anything to do with the parachutes, but it's led to this idea that the FBI might've done a cover up by misdirecting evidence. Ba -ba. So that's really interesting. And this all started to come out a couple of years before he was killed, which would be why the controversy is there about why he was murdered. That is really interesting. I didn't read a lot into it. I just read it while we were talking about it, but that is really interesting. That is fair. There is a lot of weird stuff surrounding parachutes. And one of the, uh, 
One of the suspects who uh, was like, I'm pretty sure roundly cleared. He's definitely not D.B. Cooper, but incidentally later was charged with involuntary manslaughter because he was a bad skydiving teacher and two oh, of his shit. students splashed on the ground. <laughs> Why did yeah. you say it's it like, that this is act- This stuff actually... <laughs> <laughs> what? Splashed? Yes. Like a big old water balloon full of sausage? And bone? Welcome to Conspiracy What? We have the best jokes. Don't uh, listen with your children. Well, that would explain our question earlier about what happens if you sew up the emergency chute. well i mean he lost two students don't sew up the emergency shoe anyway uh to add more to what you're saying he has actually been thoroughly debunked by people who know more than him uh (laughs) in 2011 mark metzler which uh sounds very similar to brad Meltzer, uh he debunked the idea that the parachute could not have been used in that state and as it turns out the parachute that cooper actually used was 28 foot military nb8 and it was actually built as a high speed jet parachute so i'm thinking it's probably good enough to jump out of a plane going as slow as it can Hmm. yeah now i'm starting to doubt the whole like uh did he get civilian parachutes? Because that that sort of lends to me a lot more credence to the, oh, he died. He mm-hmm. like crashed in the into a tree at 200 miles an hour. Yeah. Like a pig in a blanket on a toothpick. Okay. Usually I'm the one with bad metaphors. <laughs> You're just rolling through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's a really interesting thing. I didn't actually find that. So I was happy you put it in the outline because that whole thing is just fascinating in general. So talking about how there might be some type of uh, cover-up or something like that, there is an idea that the FBI might have botched the investigation, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Yeah. The FBI basically fucked this investigation in some way. Yes. Um, And we know that for sure, because I already mentioned that they fucked up the fingerprints. They didn't do them right. And they basically smudged them all over the place is what I'm imagining. They lost the cigarettes. Yeah. Those eight pieces of evidence. Individually They didn't notice the broken plane part. Yeah. Like, come on, guys. (laughs) You got off the stairs and didn't look down and go, oh, shit. Hey, that panel's missing. Was this really like the FBI or was it just like two (laughs) children in a black coat walking around? (laughs) Two raccoons in a trench coat. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, or, oh my God. D.B. Cooper is like, puts his sunglasses back on inside and is like, all right, FBI, this is, I'm FBI now. Let's all get in here and investigate this random guy who who left a long time ago. I just see him like busting out of the trees. He's got like a twig in his hair, but like no one show, saw him show up. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> what did you say your name was? Agent Cooper. <laughs> oh man, this is Twin Peaks. Oh my God, it is Twin Peaks. Oh my God, I don't get the reference. Oh, the agent is named, his name is Agent Cooper. Go oh. watch Twin Peaks. Right. Okay. I think I actually did find that while doing this research is that like that is a deliberate homage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His name is like Daniel Brown Cooper or something. Yeah. No, it was a deliberate homage. Is his name Dan? Mm, no one. It's not Dan, but the Cooper thing was because of DB Cooper. Because I think that's also mentioned in the book. Yeah, I it thought is he D. was like 
A, yeah, it's like his his initial, like it's his full initials were DBC. Dale Cooper. Dale Cooper. Dale Cooper. Okay. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Anyway. And he's one of it's Dale Bartholomew C- Cooper, and he's one of the best goddamn characters to ever be in a TV show. David Lynch is a goddamn genius. Go watch it. Yeah, maybe. No, not maybe. Go okay. watch it. Okay. Okay. God. Okay. So the FBI sucks, right? We already talked yeah. about how they suck at everything in this case. Um, so there's theories that the FBI kind of did this on purpose. Um, there was one theory that they were just kind of tired of failing at this case. And so they were trying really hard to shut it down really fast. They were just kind of like, um, we'll talk about it in the next episode, the suspects, but they were just kind of picking people. Like it was them. It sounds pretty real. I guess it's true. It's them. And, but then like, they couldn't even find enough evidence on these people to actually shut the case down. So they tried to make all of these accusations, but then they went nowhere. And so then there's also the idea um, that they are purposely covering something up. I mean, you can go down the conspiracy rabbit hole and say, D.B. Cooper is actually part of the CIA. And Cam's got a cool theory about that for later. Or they knew who he was all along. And so they covered it up. Who knows? I mean, you could turn this into a government theory. Yeah. But we know for sure the FBI did fuck up the evidence. It's just a matter of whether or not they did it on purpose or if they're all just kind of dumb. But going back into like Earl Cossey, it's it's kind of like another piece of that evidence. Like maybe he was suicided, which is what the CIA calls it. When things start to fall apart and you got someone that knows too much, sometimes you get suicided. Um, I was also thinking about uh, like all the suspects when I was going through them and we'll talk about them later. uh, A lot of times the FBI kept saying that like, oh, well, this guy doesn't really fit the description and he doesn't have enough of a uh, like he has too much skydiving experience because we know that he does that D.B. Cooper does not have a lot of skydiving experience. It's like, how do you know that if you don't know anything about this guy? Right. I saw on the FBI website, because you can look this up on the FBI website, that they were just kind of like evidence suggested, but then they don't say like which evidence suggested that he's unprofessional. Yeah. Uh, And I also saw another thing, speaking of the FBI website, where they were talking about evidence. I don't remember exactly what it was, because it was kind of just dumb in, in passing, but they were like, we, we ruled this person out for this reason and some other reasons and they didn't say anything else it's just like super vague yeah yeah i mean they do that sometimes because they have like dumb reasons like we found out he was walking his dog because we found him on a security camera like five o'clock in the afternoon but they don't list that to the public because people don't need to know all those details but yeah and there were a couple where they were just sort of like well it would be inappropriate to comment on on like specific people and it's like that's your job. <laughs> Investigate them. Yeah, for real. It's also helpful if you comment on specific people so you don't keep getting calls. Like my neighbor's D.B. Cooper. Like they were getting every day because mm-hmm. everybody who had a slightly slender human being next to them thought it was D.B. Cooper. <laughs> oh, and he was out of town for that weekend. And then he bought a car a few months later. He must be D.B. Cooper. Exactly. I know, it's funny because if you... Like I said earlier, it was November 24th, which was Thanksgiving. 
it wasn't exactly Thanksgiving, but it was around Thanksgiving, which means most people are out of town. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't like you were saying, Robert, like about the, the skydiving things bothered me this entire time because like he I've, I've seen it multiple places where people are like he was an amateur. And I didn't realize that Earl Cossey is the only one who had really put that forward. Uh, but I never saw any evidence that he was an amateur because he was so specific. And again, everything is laid out. And it also, I don't think a man gets on a plane with 100% of everything planned and then jumps out and wings it. I just don't think that happens. Yeah. You just don't do that. And we know for a fact that he understands how airplanes work because he had all of those very specific instructions. Yeah. And like I how think to fly I didn't. It. Yeah, like how to fly it. And I think I didn't say this um, when we were first talking about it, but when they first were going to take off, he was like, all right, lower the lower the aft stairs now. And the tower was like, well, no, it's impossible. You can't take off with the stairs lowered. And he's like, no, I know it's possible, but I'll humor you. <laughs> like he clearly seemed to have more knowledge than the people around him. Right. Yeah, another thing with that, too, is actually he tried to get them to lower the stairs and they wouldn't lower all the way the first time. So then he told them exactly what speed to go for them to lower properly. So, yeah. like, the dude knew what was going on. Yeah, this is no, like, haphazard thrill seeker. Like, he has a plan. He knows exactly what he wants. He knows how he wants it. And he knows where he's going to jump. But that's that's something that the FBI realizes eventually anyway. Their first theory was he's unskilled and that's because Earl Cossey was a technical advisor for them. And that's what he put forward to them. And as we saw, they didn't even do things like, I don't know, check damage to a plane. <laughs> so they, they missed a couple steps, uh, but they did eventually, pretty much every suspect that's left, all of the 12 are experienced skydivers. So he had to have been an experienced skydiver, which is why I kept, I kept seeing in places like he was unskilled. He was skilled most likely. Yeah. So I have a nice theory. Right. Um, hello to my uncle for giving me this one. Um, I'm from Reno. And so all of my family is in Reno. Nevada. And, yeah. Ha ha. Um, so over Christmas, he presented us with this theory that uh, D.B. Cooper fake jumped. He purposely made the plane bump, right, over Washington. But then he held on to the plane all the way until Reno and jumped there. Oh, Indiana Jones style. Yeah. At 10,000 feet. Yep. Over 100 miles per hour mm -hmm. at night in the freezing cold rain. Kept his sunglasses on. Oh, I mean, you got to. You get you get water in your eyes if you don't. You know, <laughs> so, think about that. So you can't see anything, but you won't see if you got water in your eyes anyway. So true. Um, so tell us on Twitter or Facebook what you think about that one. Yeah, I want to know if you think that he could have held onto the plane all the way to Reno and then jumped somewhere over the valleys out there. Yeah. So I I don't think he would have been able to hold on. But it's a fun theory. I think it's fun. So um, now this is probably one of the reasons why we originally were like, let's do D.B. Cooper, because one of the biggest parts of the conspiracy, I wouldn't say not that one of the funniest parts of the conspiracy. Yeah. People think that Tommy Wiseau was D.B. Cooper. I mean, he does kind of look like him. He often I wears think it. he often wears sunglasses, even at he night. He always wears sunglasses. Yeah. And he has dark hair. And he's old enough now. And he's mysterious enough. 
I thought you had more yep. to say. And he showed up with a bunch of money. And made a film for way too much money that sucked. Anyone who doesn't know who Tommy Wiseau is, uh, you might not. Most people do. Uh, he made the movie called The Room, the infamous bad movie. And he is known for having a lot of money, says the crew, but no one knows where it came from. And we're talking about a man who just kind of had a million dollars to make a, make a bad movie, a very good bad movie. Yeah, and his background is very mysterious. Yes. Nobody knows where he's from. Exactly. And nobody knows, like, actually how old he is. Uh, a lot of people who've worked with him have said that he's a lot older than he claims, but you would never be able to tell because apparently he's a vampire. Yeah, it's it's been <laughs> traced back. I think he's actually funny enough. I think he's actually from, like, Romania or something like that. People did eventually figure out, but they still know who he is. Uh yeah. So was Tommy Wiseau D.B. Cooper? Well, he's the first suspect on a list of many. And that list we're going to get into on the next episode because it's long. It has a lot to it and adds even more depth. And then we'll talk about some other alternate theories as well. We've got some of those coming up too. Yeah. Tell us if you think Tommy Wiseau is D.B. Cooper. Let us know. Because I know that's a big theory. Yeah. <laughs> Give me more info. Yeah. Do you guys think Tommy Wiseau is D.B. Cooper? No. <laughs> I wish. I want to live in that world, but I don't think it's true. I don't want to live in Tommy Wiseau's world. <laughs> I'll post a picture so you guys can see. That is, I mean, it's a relative comparison here. Again, anyone with a slender <laughs> face. Yeah. I mean, also the sunglasses change the way your face looks a little bit. Yeah, it'll sunglasses are identical. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so uh, stick around for the next time. Uh, next episode will release a week after this one. And Wow, really? Yeah, we're going to be talking about suspects and suspects who look like D.B. Cooper and maybe don't look like D.B. Cooper and might be D.B. Cooper and might not be D.B. Cooper and why the neighbor that you see in their window because you're creeping on them and they kind of look too slender and they might be D.B. Cooper, why you shouldn't immediately jump to that thought. As always, let us know what you think. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Conspiracy What. Um, you can email, email, email us your conspiracies or your comments, mean or nice, to ConspiracyWhat at gmail.com, the email. <laughs> Yes. yes. Um, if you want to read any of the books that we find for this, we have our Goodreads, which is, you know, the name of the podcast, like everything else. And you can find us anywhere you can find podcasts. Right. And if if you are the NSA and you're listening in, give our show a review. At this point, you've listened to enough episodes. <laughs> I think it's only fair if you're going to keep listening to us. Five stars. Five stars. I want five NSA. stars. And if it says NSA, you get a digital cookie which is just for visiting the site because cookies are on your computer. Uh, and thank you to Robert again. Yes, as always. And if you want to find thank more of him- Thank you for having me. I look forward to next time. If you want to find more of him, he is on our Hollow Earth three-parter. He is on our moon landing two-parter. Was that a two-parter? Was it? I don't remember. Our moon landing episode S in parentheses. <laughs> yes. Anyway, yeah, you can find him on there. You can also find him on our other podcast, Attack of the 50 Foot Podcast, where he has all kinds of opinions on bad movies and angry cats sometimes. Uh, yeah, so plenty going on there. He'll be back on the next one. Thank you again for listening. Remember to always stay stitious because you never know what's out there. I'm Benali. I'm Cameron. And I'm Robert. <laughs> okay, bye.